Hello, I'm Rajneesh. And I'm Bridget. Welcome to Terrasites, the podcast where reality matters. So welcome back. Please like and subscribe if you guys enjoy our podcast. We have some wonderful guests and we really hope that you guys enjoy these episodes where it's also just me and Raj talking. So please share this with anybody that you think might be interested as well. Thanks, Bridget. Uh, So today we're going to talk about consciousness. Why and what made us aware of ourselves? That's one way to describe consciousness. So Bridget, what do you think consciousness is and what is conscious? So I feel that my understanding of consciousness continues to develop as, you know, I talk to you and some of our guests um, and, and just my own experiences with it, too. I think I'm starting to understand that there's all of these different ways to describe what consciousness is and the different levels. We just had a great conversation in our last episode with Bruce McIver, uh, where we got into how anesthesia really is part of when you're under anesthesia, you're in a very low consciousness, but then there's also like the sleep where you're unconscious, but you can be aroused into a higher level of consciousness. And there's like the, the general being awake and uh, aware. And from there, there's even higher levels of consciousness where you can basically be more, more in tune with your environment or more in tune of, you know, yourself and perceptions and all of that. So I think like I'm trying to understand all of these different aspects because it's not like consciousness is one thing. It is a lot of different things. And I guess when you're thinking about who is conscious, <laughs> I probably don't have all of the answers to that. But I like in my own opinion, I think it's not just humans. It is it is animals. It is the, the other living beings that are around us. Um, I know you plants. you think of plants, yes, so um, in a different way than us, but they have their own type of consciousness. So that at least that's my understanding. But I, I don't understand how consciousness in this sense relates to things like the beginning of the universe. So I, that's where you can come into play. Well, you know, nobody really uh, understands or knows that. And yeah. so there are many, many theories. And, uh, you know, just like many other people, I have a theory as well. And uh, so I can, you know, we can talk about a little bit yeah. about what that theory is. So again, you know, this is a theory, uh, what we are going to discuss here. Uh, and it's sometimes these things are very hard to study. One of the things that has been done a lot is mathematics has uh, mathematics and physics has played a very big role in understanding, advancing our understanding of the universe and also now towards consciousness. One of the challenges, I think, uh, I think describing a physical thing like the universe is easy with mathematics, but it's very hard when you come to uh, what is color blue? So mathemat- mathematician or physicist will, you know, or uh, even I as a photobiologist will tell you it's this wavelength. But how it makes you feel, no one can tell that. How can I tell you how the color blue makes me feel? And that's a perception of color blue. And then everything that I've learned about it and associate with it in myself, inside me, and you may do it in different ways. That's what we talk about as consciousness, is becoming aware of your environment and uh, understanding it in, in your own perspective. So, you know, uh, how, how, where did it come from? So uh, there is, there is, there are two different ways that I, I think uh, that I have come across that I like in how the universe started. So, you know, we, we know that Big Bang occurred about 13.7 billion years ago. 
that's when the universe started and within 10 to the power of minus 36 or 10 to the power of minus 32 very very short period there was big inflation this is what we believe but sir roger penrose has an alternative uh, hypothesis which is known as conformal cyclic cosmology so the need for inflation is that the universe had to expand and become big and it continues to expand but the inflation was uh, lots of expansion very early on to cover a lot, lot of space. But what Sir Roger Penrose suggests is that there, there is no need for that, that each universe ends with a black hole that turns into uh, radiation, that emits radiation, uh, which is uh, Hawking's radiation or like light. So at the end, there is light. And then the light uh, condenses or emerges again and starts a new universe. So that the universe starts and ends, starts and ends. This is very interesting to me. And the reason is, as a photobiologist, I know that light carries information. So when a plant is growing, a plant can tell which direction the light is coming from, the color of the light, and the duration of the light. So when I say information, I mean impact of some physical thing on another living physical thing that then adapts its growth and its response or its development to this information. So plants grow seasonally and start to change how they grow based on this light. And light is coming all the way across the universe. So uh, what if, and this is the big if that, that is in my theory, what if there is another signal like light that we are unable to detect and we, we, we can't detect it, we can't perceive it because everything that we know and perceive is through our senses and our senses only perceive a small very small bit of the universe so what if what if there is other information like light so let, let's go with this for a second and now if we if we if we say that this information is present in the smallest smallest speck of the universe uh, of the space of space time and the smallest speck or the smallest pixel of space time was described by max planck and it's 10 to the power of minus 35 meters. It's very tiny, very tiny. It's like in a picture. You know, one can imagine when you print a picture, mm -hmm. uh, it's actually tiny, tiny pixels that yeah. add up the image. And so that's that's how our universe is, is constructed. We know that, that there is space-time. Einstein told us space-time is there, and it's a physical thing, and it actually can bend. So if, if that small pixel carries this information that I'm talking about, then now, as a biologist, I move a little bit away from mathematics because I'm not too good at it. Uh, I do biology, so I think about functions. So let's yeah. say that this space-time, its function is to take any form. It has the ability to take physical or, or you know, any form. And so almost like a stem cell. So a stem cell can become any cell in our body. It can make arms, it can make blood. But as it commits to becoming something, it can no longer go back to being a stem cell. So it's committed to taking a form. So same way, if that pixel is committed to taking a form and slowly either it becomes a rock or it becomes uh, the sun or a planet or, or, or a living uh, animal, that means this information is fundamental and yeah. it has the ability to take any form. Now, um, once it starts to take that form, it gets bound or constrained by its own properties. Mm -hmm. as the and its properties are accumulated right so if if you are if you are with me so far 
we're going to take this now a step further. So I call this smallest pixel of space a spot on. So it's a spot of space. So now if we take a photon, a photon will have many, many spotons because a, photo, a spoton is smaller than the photon even. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you know, photon doesn't have mass when it's traveling. It's the fastest thing that travels in the universe. Right. To experience time, you need mass because time is about mass and frequency. Or time is measured by things going up and down, and we measure the duration of time with a clock. So photon actually does not experience any time. For a photon, um, even a photon that left billions of light years ago from a galaxy and arrives here, and we detect it, for the photon, those things happen instantaneously. So we uh, move in the universe in a very different way. So, so let me give you a theoretical example. When you walk up into a room and it's dark, and you turn your flashlight on, what happens? Brightens the room. Brightens the room. You walk into a bright room, right? It's because the photons are moving much faster than you are. Yeah. If the photons were moving slower than you, you will not walk into a bright room. <laughs> the light will be always behind you. If you could run faster, like if you were Bolt, right? The uh, the, the fastest runner the yeah. won all these gold medals. Even he cannot outrun a photon because photon is a fossil thing. Now, here's a mind-boggling thing. This is where uh, I came up with this theory. So if you take this photon, and in one second, this photon is going to travel 2.98 meters into 10 to to power of 8 meters uh, per second. That's the fastest speed in the universe, which means that in one second, um, you know, it will be uh, so far, I mean, it takes eight minutes for light to travel from the sun to earth. So when we when we see the light, when we look at the sun, we are seeing what it was eight minutes, <laughs> what was eight minutes before, right? So there's an eight minute lag, but that it takes only eight minutes for the photon to, to travel this far. So if we think about the space now, the spot on, you know, photon, <clears throat> well, the spot on has its own certain characteristics and properties and it's constituting or making this photon and photon has its own physical properties so let's say now that any form has its physical properties and non-physical i call it non-physical because we haven't been able to measure it yet yeah so there is physical and non-physical properties and today we sit here with huge problems in aligning quantum mechanics and general relativity so at the micro micro scale things are very random we cannot predict right. what's going to happen. At, at macro scale, we are much better in doing mathematics and calculating. And so the conversation we just had with, with Bruce McIver earlier was just about that, that somehow the quantum randomness uh, renders itself, collapses or takes some information and gives us the ability to, okay, here I am, this is what's happening. So that some randomness converts into some actual experience. Yeah. So... We won't get into that, but I think one of the important things to remember is that in the photon, the properties are physical and non-physical, which is this information. Mm -hmm. And there is space inside the photon. I think we have missed that Um, in our mathematics, in all our models, we have missed that there is space inside forms and that space also have characteristics. If you go back to early, uh, you know, like Vedas or uh, many ancient cultures, they said, we are made out of five things, right? You may have heard of this. What are the I don't five know. things? Yeah. Fire, earth, water, air, and space. 
and we can do mathematics and measure and uh, you know do everything about the other four we don't know anything about the fifth one but I, so now to solve this problem of what i said the photon is traveling much faster than us if space has this property then there is intrinsic space which means that there is space inside a form and then there is space outside yeah and if it's if it's space that contains those spot on spot ons that has information that can take any form we are at at every moment intrinsic space and and the form that that i am for example is metamorphos you know is is metamorphing or changing at every moment yes based on my encounter with the environment with what's outside mm-hmm. so as you walk into the lit room you're experiencing your experience is different than if you were if you're walking into the dark room yeah now the photon has experienced so much more spatial information than you have because it traveled so much farther right, right? so so it it hit if uh, here in san francisco i don't know what 2.98 into 10 to the power 8 meters from from my places but let's say it hit a tree in a forest in one second somewhere some other country other yeah. continent in one second during this this movement it encountered so much more space spatial information and so in my definition of consciousness consciousness is the degree of the ability to interrelate with the extrinsic information okay right so so it's 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 basically boils it down to that our our ability to interrelate with special information so now now you asked about um the universe and so you know so that means that this information is possibly maybe uh, belongs to even a previous universe as i mentioned according to sir penrose that radiation can carry information and then then it can take form and then now let's take it a step further if you want to yeah let's do it <laughs> so um you know on this planet uh, on earth when when these photons and everything is happening and the earth has some physical properties of itself mm-hmm. you know uh, nutrients the temperature the um, uh, water um uh, you know for example for plants we need nitrogen phosphorus potassium we need carbon dioxide and so all these conditions Yeah. So so if the form can take if the spot on can take any form then based on the conditions that are present on the planet it's going to start taking forms that are more appropriate for that. So let's say that, that the very first cell appeared, right? And and now the what's the difference between the first living cell and a rock? Well the rock is subjected to its environment. It is it is subjected to it. Uh, and uh, so it doesn't have the tools, it doesn't have the abilities to to uh, pre-see what may happen and and react to the environment whereas a living cell is reactive to the environment and and not only that it can in, interact with the environment and utilize its environmental resources to grow develop and multiply and so that's a big big change so then the like i said the con- consciousness is the degree of the ability to interrelate with your environment so is rock conscious well rock is made made from all the spot spot ons yeah so it ha- inherently it has the ability to be conscious but it doesn't have the tools to interact or interrelate with the environment right so when the cell became becomes conscious it starts to develop better more proteins and uh, all these things on the membranes to to uh, you know sense the environment and then react to it 
Now, what one interesting thing, which completely amazing to me, and um, you know, as as a biologist, that always perplexed me, that development is actually occurring at that spatial, very small pixel level. So as as my nose is growing, mm-hmm. all this all that space is coordinated to make this nose right out in this external space, right? So a form, a living being, somehow all this some space has decided to coordinate its development and make all these different pieces that that take one form. So now within this form, if we are made out of all these spot-ons, now as a biologist again, atoms make molecules. Yeah. So all the spot-ons, I call I call it spotty cule. So in, in any form, all the properties of the spot-on, which is non, you know, this information, together in any form will make a spoticule. Let's say it's like a cloud of space or, you know, some information gotcha. that's inside. Okay. And and so as, as a living form is developing, it's going to accumulate information, just like it, we accumulate memory. If you have an injury, your skin has a mark. So it's going to accumulate memories of everything that happens. So each spoticule is going to be unique, right? A spoticule of a photon will be different from a spoticule of a cow will be different from of a plant. So the very first cell also had the spoticule. And so what that's one thing that fascinates me that how space coordinates itself to take a form. The other interesting thing is the earth came into existence about 4.5 billion years ago. The first evidence for life that we have is 3.8 billion years ago. So it took less than 1 billion years for life to appear on earth. Yeah. And then, you know, um, uh, we think that about 1.6 billion years ago, the plants and animals started to develop in different directions. And just to give a perspective, uh, dinosaurs, uh, you know, went extinct 65 million years ago. We are talking right. about 1.6 billion years ago. Yes. So, so we we are a tiny, tiny speck. How long we've been on the planet? Very, very tiny speck. So, what's interesting is then. Um, if the plants and animals split 1.6 billion years ago, there must be a common ancestor. Right. There must be one one common ancestor, which is probably a eukaryote, which means you know multicellular, and and then the plants started to develop, um, uh, utilize light, and started to uh, they took on a prokaryote, a cyanobacteria, and made chloroplast, mm-hmm, uh, and the chloroplast started photosynthesis, and so they started fixing food and how do they fix food they take light they take six molecules of water and six molecules of carbon dioxide and the light energy uh, combines the six molecules of water and six molecules of carbon dioxide to make real sugar that we can bite into right light water air turns into sugar that we can hold and weigh and eat and the whole planet lives on it isn't that magic (laughs) so plants have that magic so plants ex- uh, exceeded or, or you know, excelled in utilizing this light information that we were talking about and converting it into sugar. Yeah. And as the food problem was taken care of, animals started to develop slightly differently. I think animals started to utilize this this other, excelled in utilizing this other information that we were talking about. And we won't get into this in this podcast, but I can draw direct links to this information and the effects of psychedelics and and you know alternation of minds and all of those things. Uh, so <clears throat> there are biochemical pathways that that I think 
are fit fit directly into this so we can actually come up with experiments that we can test this interesting so i think animals start to use utilize this other information and excel in it and develop better tools to use this other information mm-hmm. like the neuronal networks and things like that right. and so we we be, got all these tools to interact and become aware and so we think we are the only ones that are conscious that depends on how we define consciousness right if consciousness is the degree of the ability to interrelate with your environment then it can go all the way back to the first cell or into even space mm-hmm. right so yeah, I see consciousness that. I see that. consciousness is a process just like photosynthesis is a process the product of photosynthesis is sugars or food and product of consciousness is thoughts and the ability to plan and you know um, so as plants are producing food for themselves and us i think if we are conscious beings we should uh, save the planet not just for ourselves but also for plants yes it kind of sounds <laughs> um like a way to way to describe it is that consciousness is the product itself for us yes it is it is so so just just like you know if if you think if you ask a question what is photosynthesis photosynthesis is the product of development of plants uh, you know led to it so same way consciousness is itself in that way a product but then down the stream of consciousness is thoughts and uh, thinking and and you know planning like we can plan our next vacation into uk or next year right plants right. don't really bother about that or maybe they do i don't know <laughs> but uh but you know so the, the, that's that's the hypothesis so i call this the theory theory of spatial relativity because gotcha. uh i think the experience of space whether it's intrinsic inside a form or extrinsic experiences information in different uh, different uh, ways so the experience of information is relative based on you know whether the space itself is constrained by certain properties or it's unconstrained. Mm-hmm. So trying to trying to picture it for myself, this the spot on and the spot of cool basically describes the space. Right. Yes. So and getting the information mm-hmm. and properties, yeah. 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 And space actually creates shapes. Like that's something right. that I think we we don't when you're in a room, yes there's walls, but the room is also defined by the fact that there's space creating mm-hmm. the room it's not just the walls and that's kind of like applying that to just how your body works in a different way i i can see how that connection is made like consciousness yes space space is a building block mm-hmm. for any form yeah uh, you know we 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 occupy space but space also occupies us yes <laughs> It's, it's sort of like a you know uh, right that is it's almost trippy to think about but um very very interesting at the same time yeah so so uh, you know and uh, the, like i was saying that there are chemical pathways that that we can tap into to to relate how all of this may come together and and how even psychedelics work how anesthesia right. works so those are the things that that you know we're trying to uh, design experiments for and and to to show that um uh, consciousness is is simply our ability it's a signal transduction mechanism uh, how a signal that's outside is perceived and transduced and travels through and makes us um react to the environment so i kind of have a um a question 
might be a little bit wide, but I'm wondering, because as the, the conversation of consciousness develops and I learn more about it, it seems almost like there's multiple different things going on that are being described under the same word of consciousness because in the the science like technical term it's like either you're awake or asleep in a very basic way of describing it and that's very easy for people to understand um but then it's also used for more of the you know philosophical aspect of how aware you are of yourself and your surroundings and your, I mean, your surroundings, environment and all of that versus the, the unconscious thoughts that you, you're just kind of reacting rather than consciously, you know, making decisions and such. And I'm almost wondering if there need, like, do you think there could possibly be a better way to just like differentiate these types of consciousness? Yes. You know, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. Um, um, so because you're absolutely right, consciousness term itself has so many different meanings. So yeah. I had to, I had to, uh, and this is only, you know, to, to make it clear in my own mind because mm-hmm. of the way I was thinking about it. So I, I uh, had to, dis- uh, you know, come up with another term for this information that I'm talking about, which, uh, which is the uh, information which is in a spot on, right? So this information, I call it Aleph. And uh-huh. the reason I call it Aleph is because that's the very first letter of, of the very first uh, language, uh, Abhidajad and also Sanskrit. So it's the very first letter and it was available <laughs> and it has a symbol as well. So it worked really well. So I use, so I separate information, which is cosmo, you know, with the cosmos has. So if somebody says uh, consciousness in space, I would say that's the information that's Aleph. Mm. So now separating it from what is consciousness uh, so I I would say a consciousness, like I've been saying, is the ability of the developed physical form to interrelate with the inherent information in varied varied degrees of self awareness, right? So it's the inherent ability for us to interrelate with the information, which is LF, in degrees of self awareness. So as we become more and more, uh, so I define consciousness that way. But then what is the physical form? A physical form in that sense will be a functional coordination of accumulated microspace, right? So all the spot-ons coming together is a functional coordination of all this microspace, but it's constrained by in performance by its own physical properties. So it's microspace coming together, but constraining uh, its function by its own physical properties. So now I think you're absolutely right. We need to start to redefine the terms, but do we, do we redefine them based on my theory? Well, that depends on if my theory is correct. <laughs> right, right. I, I think the main the main difference is there's the spiritual way of seeing it versus the scientific, and that's the two sides that I think it is use and, the and same the, that term was, that like yeah. And that was one of the drivers for me to expand the yeah. uh, information this way because. You know, I'm a scientist and I think we've been doing science and really good science for the past 50 years. Uh, our science has become better, better. The tools have become better. Mm-hmm. But but we've been living on the planet for much longer. Yeah. And there have been these cultures who've been describing their experiences. And, it, I, I, you know, I, it, it's why, why should scientists negate or say that's not correct? Only we are correct. I think we need to start to think and incorporate some of those experiences and writings and literature 
into our science. And when we define our questions and start to do design experiments, if we don't include that, we may be only looking at one piece of something. Mm -hmm. So this is why I, I expanded the explanation much broadly because it does fit the spirituality part. So in, in that yeah, sense, yeah. you know, uh, being spiritual is becoming more and more self-aware, you know, real, like a realized person will have maximum sensitivity to their environment right. and they will never be depressed because they realize that, that their experience is unique to them. Nothing outside uh, is going to impact them or make them sad because they are sort of, they're utilizing the form to experience the world, right? So it does connect with spirituality as well. Yeah. I think maybe what what it is that um, catches me when I think about it is just that how we are able to conceptualize things is based on language. So our our only real understandings of things is what we understand of a certain term. So it's right. it's kind of like you have to broaden those understandings before it makes sense. Very important. Language uh, restricts yeah. and also uh, language actually can be the cause for miscommunication. Oh, totally. Right? <laughs> so, See it all the time. Yes. So no, language is also our own construct. So, uh, you know, uh, I would say that uh, any any things that we construct are going to be limited by our own abilities to perceive things. And, and we are we are acting uh, on a working bench with certain tools and techniques. And those tools and techniques are limited by what we know and what we can access. Right. And I guess the same could be argued for, say, plants. Like they're yeah. they're very within their own realm of abilities to, to communicate. Right. So, well, you know, one thing we forget uh, is that we, Homo sapiens, are one species. When we look at plants or animals, there are many, many, many more more species. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, like you just said, they work in their own realm or their their own situations. But each species, we distinguish species by characteristics, genetic or you know, physiological or whatever. We say, well, this is so different. This is its own species. And so, so that's right. So what you just said is so important because each of those species may have completely different experience and different ways to deal with the environment which we know it does. Different plants flower different times, grow in different conditions, the areas. It's just our, of us humans. We, we broke through the limitations of our reg regional dependency and we developed tools and technologies to get ourselves out of that dependency and uh, we cannot live anywhere. Uh, but then somewhere we lost, we got lost and we started to think about how can I make myself better? Uh, my 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 self experience better, and we we have there are good things about it. I mean, we, we improved our lifestyles tremendously. Right. You know, we are much more comfortable now, healthier. But I think now it's time to start to think back, and and see what resources we are using. How how are we acting, and are we being aware? If so, spirit spiritual beings need less <laughs> as right <laughs> as, as you become more and more spiritual you need less and less and less because your experience starts to become bigger and bigger there, there is there is such such an amazing transition there and that's all linked to consciousness so so yeah you're right but we should remember that we are just one species 
there are many, many more species on the planet. That's very uh, an interesting way to look at it. So going back real quick to how we were talking about there's different levels or types of consciousness, um, it reminded me a lot about the Michael Pollan book. I actually have it right here. The This is Your Mind on Plants, where he talked about his experience on different substances such as uh, caffeine, mescaline. And um, with the mescaline one, it, it reminded me specifically about what we were talking earlier and also the Bruce McIver episode because he discussed how this like uh, mindful expansion when he's experiencing so many different stimuluses and it's like eye-opening, right? But at the mm-hmm. same time, it, it's overwhelming in a way. Mm-hmm. At least that's how it, it sounded in, in my reading of it, because I haven't experienced that. But where to the where to, to the point where the things that mattered on a day to day basis, you know, work and you know, moving mm-hmm. and engaging in things and achieving things and all those different pressures that we have in our society and our you know cultures now that they don't matter in the same way where your, your experiences are so uh, more opened and you're more in tune with your environment. And mm-hmm. what I'm, when I think about that is it's almost scary in a sense, because I think of how that might impact the survival, right? Because if we're not as pushing for, you know, achievement or getting things done or, you know, what, what our, our species kind of tends to do in all this like activity way. How is that? Um, you know, it's amazing that our brains can expand more in that in that in engaging awareness feeling. But is it good? Like, is or is that kind of scary in the fact of it's not good for survival? <laughs> that's a, that's a very good question, and and it's uh, it's a common uh, way to describe why we sort of, you know, uh, uh, developed more uh, physically in terms of, like you're saying, having more physical experiences and lost maybe that that experience of the whole worldliness or whatever that is, right. like being more connected, right? So, and, and you know, I've seen many cartoons being drawn where there's a, actually a, a Roger, Sir Roger Penrose showed one at the conference that I was at, uh, at the, the Science of Consciousness, where there's like a caveman and he's sitting down and drawing all these uh, amazing things about thinking about spirituality. And and there's like a big you know, uh, lion behind him and an elephant. They come and eat him because he's not paying any attention <laughs> to to creating like a barricade. And so, so yeah, so survival. So we can we can picture this, that that there were people, the human beings that were at that early stages uh, were interacting with the immediate environment and trying to survive. They didn't have the time, or, or, or you know, or were selected out compared to the humans that were uh, being more physically and feeding themselves better and making barricades and right. So that there is something to that that process. I will tell you about another uh, hypothesis, which is very interesting. You know, it's a it's 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 uh, put forward by uh, Dennis McKenna, who will be one of our guests as well. And and I hope you know we'll hopefully have Michael Pollan on as well. So Dennis McKenna has another uh, hypothesis, which is the stoned ape theory, and it's you know people hear it and and chuckle about it. But uh, his he and Dennis McKenna, his 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 brother, they came up with the hypothesis that when these apes were walking around in jungles, they were eating mushrooms, and that gave them 
this fulfillment and develop their brains uh, to to be able to uh, you know do agriculture so we have both sides right there's in, on one side we have this theory where okay uh, you know survival was so important and so we stopped doing those things on the other side where well, we were surviving but only we became more conscious only because the apes had access to psychedelics psychedelic mushrooms so those those are the two different types of theories and which one is correct you know i think we need to do science uh, there there's not enough data or experiments and there these things are hard to ask direct questions yeah. but and ultimately michael, sorry yeah. sorry michael Pollan also talked about how uh, caffeine and the industrial revolution yeah. <laughs> spurred a lot of um more engagement and i don't know how to describe it but how just that correlation of the stimulant Absolutely, that, yeah. I you know, you know, I, I agree with Michael Pollan completely. Uh, we think we are in control. We are not. Plants yeah. are in control. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. Too. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, 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 what, what, what a great way to survive to get all all the humans to start growing uh, maize uh, and uh, you know uh, whatever soybeans and all these plants everywhere. Uh, so plants cover more space than than we do in terms of you know agriculture and forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they get us to plant them everywhere so um you know it's, it's it depends on how how we look at things so right. this is why uh, ultimately your question is very important because i think at the very root of it we need to realize that we have the ability you know that there's no lion chasing me today i i'm i'm not i'm doing just fine surviving mm-hmm. so we can go with whatever these theories but there is so much depression and especially with covid people are suffering and i think if we just look inside ourselves and and realize that we are actually conscious machines and we have such abilities to detach ourselves from pain and suffering at any moment and and realize that that we can do we have abilities that we can do so many amazing things of course it's not always possible right, right. There, and i think the important key there is also um it reading that and you know trying to understand how those experiences work the the influence of plants such as masculine does allow that expanding or that changing of your perceptions and uh stimulus and stuff but there's also the level of you can connect with that to an extent without the use of yes certain plants to to get there. and that's kind of also you know at least personally that's what interests me because we've all experienced downtimes and how you handle them and you know are able to understand your own thoughts and feelings and uh, the world around you environment and perceive things differently like pain or hardships without the use of um plants can also uh, be part of that expanding of your own consciousness right because ultimately it's biochemical you know so that's why we need a whole different podcast to talk about that psychedelics work through biochemistry and uh, ultimately you know uh, uh, to make it very simple and quick for now uh, it's uh, there is a chemical there is a you know molecule called dimethyltryptamine dmt which our bodies make but break down it very quickly and we'll talk i'm sure we will talk more about that with Dennis McKenna as well. Yeah. Uh, so DMT is is uh, very common in all the psychedelics that you just you know you're mentioning, and we, our bodies make it too. So when we when we meditate, 
you know, or when we are when we are like downtime in what you call downtime, uh, the ability to kind of, uh, you know, people talk about that you have to shut everything off. You don't have to shut everything off. Your your heart is beating, and you, everything is going. Your brain is working. What you need to do is start to focus in inwards. Think about yourself, and you will notice that things will start to emerge that you need to deal with. And that happens even when you're sleeping. You know, many times you go to bed with questions, and in the morning. I know how to solve that problem, right? So because these processes are going on and uh, I would like to, whoever is listening to this, would like to point them to Sadhguru and Isha Foundation. I mean, I, I learned uh, when I was doing all this and doing my science and trying to put these concepts together, I felt like he, what he talks about has direct connections to how I'm doing my research as well uh, because he has this inner engineering program and um, you know uh, uh, he's he teaches uh, well teaches he's a he he's an amazing uh, yoga teacher in, in many yeah. ways he describes things so I think reaching to that connectivity between inside you is is how to get out of depression how to get out of things but you can use chemicals but the chemicals are just you know they're, they're not going to have long lasting effect. Right. They may have, I mean, in a way they will have long lasting effect, but it's it's not inherent. It hasn't become inherent. You're, you're still going, if, if somebody is using psilocybin to feel that way all the time, then you're, you know, you may have some trips and maybe slowly you'll realize that, okay, now I can do it myself as well. But you're right. You don't need that mm-hmm. to experience what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you were explaining with like meditation, I have very like minimal experience with that even but like from from what I have experienced is it's more of a tuning in than tuning out and I think when I was growing up that was like the biggest part that I didn't understand I I did a lot and my mom was a yoga instructor and we would always be at the Buddhist temple and I was around a lot of meditation and all of these great things but I just anytime somebody would try to you know, talk me through it or something, my brain would be like, no, <laughs> I like, I'm not going to zone out because I just did not have that like understanding of it's just a changing of where you are focusing your attention. It's actually right. more right. attention, more focused attention rather than yeah. um, right. just mindless thought almost. Right. Right. Yeah. And that is yeah, yeah. in itself kind of a relieving of whatever issues there are because you realize mm-hmm. different different um, interpretations of what's around you and your situations and such. Right. Yeah. And and that's and there there are there is research going on with um, you know uh, when people are meditating what's going on chemically uh, and even electrophysiologically. Uh, you know we will we will have um, another uh, guest. Uh, Jay Sanguiniti, uh, we will we will invite him. Uh, he's doing amazing work. Uh, he's using ultrasound, and he's found parts in the brain where, uh, when he uh, sh- shines ultrasound, he's gotten similar results electrophysiologically uh, that are similar to people who have been meditating for years. Wow! So, so you can induce meditative state states by activating certain parts of the brain. Uh, yeah, we, we will have him as a guest as well. So yeah, you know, it, there, there is something clearly going on here, and so our biochemistry 
is not just our own, it's inside. It's all the time responding, reacting to the environment and things that are going on outside and also perceptions of things that we take in inside. So we are complex beings and such are plants. So are plants. Good. Well, that was a good discussion. Hopefully everyone enjoyed it. And thanks for joining us. Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, Please like and subscribe and share this podcast with anybody that you think would would also be interested. And we'll see you in the next one.